0: Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. So, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for coming along. Um, It looks like we're we're a fairly small group today, which uh, should make for an interesting discussion. So I'll keep the talking reasonably short and uh, give me a signal if it's getting dull and I'll move on. And we'll have lots of time for Q&A at the end. So... My name is Francie Bennett, Uh, I'm from a company called Mastodon C and uh, we recently graduated from the ODI so we're one of the first startups to be involved with the ODI, we've now now moved out and grown up uh, like teenagers. Um, We are big data experts which means that uh, our professional backgrounds are working with very large or very unwieldy data sets and in applying open source technology to make sense of those. Um, so applying some of the things that have been developed over the last few years to solve new kinds of problems. And as a company, we started out using open data to figure out where the greenest servers were for us to do that kind of work on. So we figured that uh, the work that we did involved using lots and lots of servers that had a very uh, heavy use of electricity, so that was the biggest lever that we had to change our carbon footprints. And as people who cared a lot about that, we figured that that was an interesting and useful thing to do. Um, So most servers in the default settings uh, run in places that have heavy use of coal power. That's cheap. It means that the services that run on them are cheap, but it's obviously environmentally not that great. Um, There are servers that run in different parts of the world on much greener energy, and we were interested in working out where those were. Strangely, there's not much public data available directly about the services, but you can use open data to piece together a picture of where the better services are to you. So we started out doing that as, as actually a core part of our business, um, particularly going off the insight that national grids have enormous variation in their energy consumption. Um, you can see the example here of Iceland is almost all geothermal, so it has an absolutely negligible carbon footprint. Australia is mostly coal and is, is dreadful. Um, This is interesting from someone working in technology because most of the time we can put things anywhere in the world now. With the rise of cloud processing services, we have a lot of flexibility. So that's pretty cool. However, what we found was our our customers didn't really care about the carbon footprint of the big data jobs we were running. Uh, What we found that they did really care about was they just couldn't make sense of data at all. They really just didn't know how to use the technology to process large amounts of data And that was actually a real blocker and something people were willing to pay for. So we've we've shifted as a business uh, into being people who still build and run zero or very low-carbon cloud-based big data services, but we don't make that the reason why people buy us. The reason why people buy our, our services is to help them just with the core technology. And we still have a particular bias towards trying to work with clients who are doing interesting or useful things in the world. So... Um, having a background in search engines where I'm spending most of my time using this technology to persuade people to click on more ads, basically. Um, I'm now very interested in applying the same technology to more important fields, and one of the ones I want to talk about today is is the built environment, which is on the way to being a very interesting and important field, which could change a lot because of the application of, of data. And... I'm coming to this as, as as you'll have guessed, a technology expert, but not as a built environment expert. That means that my take on things is probably quite different from someone within that industry. Um, But people within that industry are also starting to eye up the things that are happening in terms of sensor technology and data, and see opportunities from their side. So it's early, but this is starting to come together in, in quite an interesting way. So... I'll just start running through a few definitions which will make the rest of this make a bit more sense. So, um, and the, for the people who are experts in this, these fields, apologies, I'm about to massively oversimplify your work, so you can tell me off later. Um, in terms of talking about big data, and this, this is really the, the standard sales pitch for the type of thing we do. So now is a really good time to be using data, whether it's big or small or open or closed, to help with your big problems for a few reasons. So there are a couple of things that have changed recently which make this important. Uh, The first is that there is a lot more data about. So um, the devices that produce data are cheap and ubiquitous. Many things are managed by computer systems, which again produce streams of data as a byproduct of their normal operation. Uh, There's just a lot of data starting to flow into the world um, automatically. Furthermore, that data has become really cheap to store and process. So... The advent of cloud technology makes it much more flexible to deal with data. The cost of storage keeps going down. The cost of processing keeps going down. And we have uh, new distributed technologies, which means you can use cheap processing to work across very big data sets. Uh, Particularly technologies called Hadoop and Cassandra we use very heavily, but there, there are a number of new technologies which can do this. So you put those two things together much more supply of data, much cheaper and more accessible ability to use it, and that opens up a whole new field of opportunities. So um, that gets quite exciting, particularly for organisations with big or challenging problems. The availability of data and the ability to use it offer new angles to try and solve those those knotty problems. And we also talk a bit about open data, and I've, I've stolen this definition straight from the ODI Um, Open data is information that's available for anyone to use for any purpose at no cost. And for open data to be good, uh, it should be able to be linked to so that it can easily be shared and and discussed. Um, It should be structured and standard so that people can build automated processes on top of it. Again, it should be available and consistent over time so that people can rely on it being there and keep using it. And it's possible to trace it back so that you know whether you should be using it and whether you should be making big decisions based on this data. And finally, the the third piece of this puzzle uh, is Internet of Things. And this this is particularly important in the built environment. And this is a very broad term. It's it's very fashionable at the moment to talk about Internet of Things. What it actually means, really, is, is that the sorts of devices that I was saying produce data a lot at the moment they're, they're now connected to the internet or to other types of connectivity it goes across lots of different types of protocols lots of different types of application but the basic idea of internet things is you have physical stuff which is producing data and is in some way connected and sometimes those things are talking to each other sometimes they're talking to central data stores but there, there's this this general concept that there are lots of types of physical device in the world now, which are adding to this stream of data that we have coming in. So those are really big buzzword topics that are very exciting in our domain. Traditionally, in the buildings world, there is not this kind of data, or it doesn't get used. So traditionally, you would have something called a building management system um, that covers usually about half of the energy consumption of a building, so that gives you a bit of information about what's happening. You'd usually have some paper plans of what the layout of the building is like and what's in it, and maybe something called BIM or Building Information Management. So this is, uh, to to the built environment industry, quite a a controversial thing still, that you have this system where you try and put together all the data for all the different people that work on a building, you have a single source of truth about what's what's in there and how it was built. And by the way, I'm, I'm talking from the perspective of big data people who work across a few industries. Um, at the ODI there are actually a number of companies who, who are working specifically in this industry from, from different angles and they're also worth looking at. Um, so 3D Repo are trying to take this BIM concept quite a lot further with some new technologies, so they're trying to do 3D modelling of what gets added and taken away from a building over time, um, which is obviously Im- important and exciting. Uh, carbon culture are coming to it from, a, from an angle of looking at the people who are in a building, so they try and incentivize the people who populate a building to uh, try new things which save energy. And demand logic, pull data from those BMS systems and actually try and make that useful and make that more used. So there are lots of different companies looking at different angles of this problem and this opportunity of using data in the built environment. So I'd like to talk particularly about a system that that we've been working on a lot recently um, for an organisation called the Energy Savings Trust. And EST's task in life is to try and help the UK hit its carbon-saving targets That's obviously quite a hard thing to do, and they've identified that one of the things that needs to happen is that domestic housing in the UK needs to become a lot more energy efficient. So, one of the ways you try and do that is you do what's called a retrofit to the building. So, you add new things to the building which are supposed to reduce its energy consumption and hence its carbon footprint. Now, that's obviously a very sensible thing to do and very important. The challenge is that uh, you can do a physics model of how things are supposed to work and it's often very much not like that in reality, so um, they've come around to the realisation that actually it's important to track the reality of what's going on in a building to really understand what's going to work when you try and scale it to all of the houses in the UK. Um, It would be terrible to do something which works in theory, scale it to millions of houses and then say oops, people don't really act like that in real life. So they're trying to use data to to answer that question a bit better. And um, we've taken on this system uh, quite recently, so we've been doing a big rebuild of it. Um, Originally, the system holds data from uh, 121 homes, lots of different types of sensors. So one of the interesting things about this system is that they've brought in not only... uh, basic energy tracking sensors, but also things about, for example, the humidity, the carbon dioxide concentration, the temperature, the water consumption. So anything that they could think of to track within these buildings, they they just put sensors in everywhere. And that brings together about 100 million data points and adds new data every five minutes, so it's it's quite a high-frequency system. And that makes things... Quite interesting although quite tricky so we get to see from having these sensors quite a lot of what 's going on in buildings so for example this is a, a real readout from that system of the carbon dioxide within a, a room in a house and um, the reason this is interesting is that carbon dioxide is a measure of basically how stuffy a room is so this room is is quite unpleasant it looks like so anything over a thousand feels a bit Sticky and horrible, and um, that's not good for the people in the house. Which means they're probably not going to like their new energy-saving technology. They're probably going to open the window, which is going to completely stuff your measurements. So these kinds of measures are very helpful for us to understand why things play out as they do in in real behaviour. And um, you can also see from this kind of measurement, you can start to say, well, there's someone in this house in the morning. There's someone in this house in the evening, and it looks like. Probably the whole family is there at the start and end of the day and there's just one or two people in the middle, so the carbon dioxide drops and goes back up and then goes flat lines overnight. Again, this type of data sounds quite basic, but is is very important for us to later understand what what are the actual changes in carbon footprint going to be. So for this kind of family with this behaviour, we can now start to get a much better idea of, of what it might mean for the house and therefore what it means when you try and scale this to enormous number of people with all, all these different types of behaviour. Um, also, you'll see they, they went out for a couple of days, weren't at home at all. That sort of thing is, is again, quite important, because if you measured the, uh, the total consumption more crudely, you would miss the fact they were away for a few days, and so you would flatter the measurements that you get on a building like this. You can also start to see how people are interacting with things so... This is the temperature within a room and you can see they went along for a few days with it set at about 20 by the looks of it and then sounds like they cha- decided it was a bit too chilly and turned the thermostat up. So we can start to tell stories about what's happening in these buildings again by having better sensor technology. And occasionally, a uh, common problem in Internet Things, the equipment breaks. Um, so this sort of thing happens all the time where you get crazy spikes in the numbers. Um, usually that means something is broken in the hardware and um, this comes back again to, the, to economic factors basically make this quite interesting. So because the hardware is getting cheaper and cheaper to do this kind of tracking, instead of trying to have perfect hardware that never does this and never breaks, you instead spread your bets and have a lot of different hardware installed which balances out the measurements and then you can just pick up the difference between a broken item and an item which is telling you something genuinely interesting about there being a spike or something. So you spread the cost of hardware to very cheap basic things which you put ubiquitously everywhere which gives you a much more realistic picture of what's really happening. And I said said that people might, for example, be opening the window in that stuffy room. Um, This comes back to a really interesting and annoying to people at Energy Savings Trust paradox um, that that causes challenges for for this kind of retrofit behaviour called Jevons paradox. And... uh, slight diversion but this guy uh, William Stanley Jevons in the 18th century in Manchester um, observed that when coal-fired engines became more efficient he had expected the sales of coals to go down, it actually went up, Um, so there's this phenomenon which is now called Jevons paradox, across a number of industries where when something becomes more efficient, sometimes you don't save resources, actually very often you don't save resources, so people take that efficiency out as something else. Um, So, you know, you see it as cars become more efficient. Rather than saying, brilliant, I don't need much petrol anymore, people say, oh, brilliant, I can have an enormous car for the same amount of petrol. This happens in the built environment all the time. So if you insulate people's houses and make them warmer and more cosy, one of the things which can often happen is people say, oh, brilliant, my house was cold and draughty and rubbish before, so I didn't even bother putting the heating on. Now it's lovely and airtight, so I'm going to keep it warm and and be much more comfortable. And this phenomenon called comfort taking messes up the scalability of retrofit quite badly. Um, So, again, we need to get more insight into the detail of comfort taking and when it happens and when it doesn't happen in order to have a hope of hitting these kinds of energy savings targets. And I, I said at the beginning of the talk that this would be also about open data. So I've talked a bit about Internet of Things and I've talked a bit about why big data and why fine-grained data is useful. Open data also plays into this in a really important way. So one of the things about using open data in in this environment is using open data gives us important context to what's going on. So if we're trying to tell stories about why someone might have turned the heating up, if we have open data about what the weather outside was like, that makes it enormously easier to tell stories about what's going on. Also, if we can publish open data from these kinds of things, so from the sensors that we have here, and if we can publish things that let other people try and find the stories in the data, that lets them try and gain new insights into solving important problems and into comparing, for example, how different buildings perform, how that relates back to patterns of behaviour, and so on. So open data has a really important part to play um, particularly in these, these sorts of um, social benefit things where we do want to actually get people to share the insights and, and to make good decisions collectively around it. So going back to data and buildings, I said historically, apologies for my terrible drawing, um, you would probably just have had this building management system which tracked the big plants so in a corporate building particularly it would be tracking the, the boilers, the coolers different equipment in each room that, that, that are the big, big energy consumers. What's, what's interesting now is that because sensors are pretty cheap and pretty ubiquitous, you can just start sticking them in all over the place. So, yeah, very, in various rooms, tracking different metrics of heating, energy, environmental things, a- anything that really is, is easy to track. You can also start to, incorporate buildings, again, get data on things like card readers. So, Corporate employees often have RFID cards. You can then get an idea of how many people are coming in and out. You can put sensors outside, put sensors on the elephant. Um, You can also have phone data, which is... This is where it gets quite interesting but quite controversial, is people are now carrying around sensors in their pockets the whole time. And these sensors already have a lot of environmental tracking on them. The, for example, the latest Samsungs do have temperature and humidity detectors in them, as well as accelerometers and so on. Sound and image detection already standard in phones. So we're all going to be carrying around these sensor kits in our pockets. If we were to give buildings permission to know some things from those sensors, that again is a, another interesting data stream. And that's interesting, that's also risky, because it's a vector of control over people, which then gets a, a bit controversial. And you can go too far with this stuff. Um, there was a, a really interesting thought experiment at a conference recently um, called Quantified Toilets, which is, is worth looking up in more detail. Which It was quite a plausible thought experiment, which is why, why it was so interesting. Um, so they put together this, this spoof uh, at a conference to say behaviour at the toilets was being recorded for analysis and completely anonymized, and put up a fake tracking board of what the data feed from this would look like. Now, the technology to do this is there, right? This is completely physically possible to do. However, it's immediately obvious that that's also kind of creepy, right? Um, So you could do great public health things with this. You know, you, you could figure out what percentage of your workforce is pregnant without having to know who they are. You could figure out who's got problems with different kinds of drugs. You can find out, certainly as an employer, they would be very keen to know some of these summary statistics but also there's, there's a huge potential for invasion of privacy and for negative effects. So the, tra- the ubiquity of tracking, while very powerful, is also something to think about in terms of well, how are we can manage that ubiquity over time. And, uh, you know, every device is getting more and more tracking. There, are, there are, isn't much thinking going on yet about what, what does that mean for us socially as well as just as physical objects. So going back to our, our building um, where we did just have probably a BMS which was probably run by an engineer in the basement you've now got lots of potentially sensing devices You know, caveated with have you got appropriate permission to use those devices and is it the right thing to do and all of those devices are throwing off data the whole time and that, that's where things get actually quite interesting for, for different applications and that's also where people like us come in so as I said we've we've been working on platforms which put together lots of data and pull it in from buildings to try and solve problems like why does this building perform or not perform as expected and what are we going to do about it it's possible to imagine uh, as you start to take data of things like card readers and phones you can start to also say things about the people within those buildings what experience are are they having how do you optimise that building for the people to be in so we're very much only at the start right now but as most buildings have lots of sensors in we're starting to look towards what what does that mean and what are we going to do with the data of them and people like us are now trying to run services and say well we know how to pull that data together now what are we going to do with it so that we're at this very interesting inflection point I think um, in this field and there are a few things we could do next Um, so one of the most obvious ones is to starting to forecast more accurately what buildings are going to do, um, not only in terms of energy consumption, which is the core application at the moment, but also starting to say, well, how are people going to use it? How are they using it? Can we change things to, to make it more responsive? You can also start to find an act on anomalies, so real life, as you've probably all observed, is often a lot dumber than the theory would hope. Um, People like Demand Logic actually specialise in pulling data off BMSs, finding anomalous things that have been running for a long time in ways they shouldn't and shutting them down. As we get more data sources, we get more opportunities to spot those things which have been set to a strange setting or which are running all by themselves or which are doing things they shouldn't and sorting them out. And we can start to understand and to op- optimise building usage so we need less space for the same number of people to have a good experience. And just, in general, I think there's a lot of potential to make buildings better places to be. Um, I've talked a bit about the domestic context in our particular example, but the the same technology scales and probably actually scales more easily to big corporate contexts, so buildings like this one that we're in here. And also, interestingly, because the technology now is there and is, is cheap and functional, that can start to become more real-time. And that's, again, quite an exciting opportunity if there are things that we can respond to in real-time. So the big decisions are not going to happen real-time, but little changes to building, little tweaks and optimizations can be happening all the time. So I think it, I'm going to leave it there because you look like you're all about to boil to death. Um, so, yeah, as I've said, this has been a really quick tour around some of the possibilities of data in buildings think it's a really interesting field as, as you've heard from my description we don't quite know where this is going to go next but the fact that there is lots of data out there and the fact that there are interesting and big challenges in the built environment industry says to me that something interesting is going to happen here um, and i'd be really interested at this stage to hear your thoughts thank you You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.